Welcome into the Galloway Podcast, episode 43. I'm your host, William Galloway. Today is Monday, June 22nd, 2020. The Galloway Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. So check out the podcast on those three platforms. We've got a great lineup for you today for episode 43. We're talking with the voice of the Auburn Tigers, Andy Bertram, and we're talking with CBS 42's Jack Royer. A little coffee table conversation with Jack catching up on his job, catching up on stories, uh, and then, of course, talking all things Auburn Tigers with Andy Burcham. As always, we'll begin with what's new. We'll have our interview segments, and then we'll go around Alabama Athletics to finish up the podcast. So, jumping into things immediately here on the Galloway Podcast, what's new? Um, I caught a fish the other day. And honestly, that is news in the world of sports because there's just there hasn't been much to talk about. I know you don't care that I caught a fish, but Yo, let's be real. When the headlines on ESPN read, Snoop Dogg raps tribute for the late Kobe Bryant, there's truly not a whole lot of new news to look at. Now, an actual news drop, Michael Casagrande tweeted on June 17th that the NCAA formally approves the six-week football preseason plan. Activities can begin July 13th, and practice can start on August 7th. So the start date, let's take Alabama, for example, of September 5th in Dallas, is uh, we're still planning on it. And so that's a good thing for college football. That preseason plan is in order. So good news there in terms of what's new. Also, want to hit on this before we get to our interviews. Y'all, the MLB is sitting on their hands and not doing anything. I understand they're trying to negotiate contracts and talk about risk of coronavirus, and uh, but the league, the Players Association, the owners, they just can't get it together, all right? Golf is one of the only live sports on TV, and baseball has the opportunity to regain its popularity, to take the sports world by storm. And what are they doing? Like I said, they're sitting on their hands and they can't figure it out. Baseball has been on the decline for the past couple of years and they have the opportunity to get ahead and to regain popularity, but they just, they can't figure it out. I mean, come on MLB, get it together. It's frustrating because they could be taking over ESPN every night and people could be tuning in, but that's just not happening. They need to be more like the NBA. Wodge talked about how the target date to restart the season is uh, the end of July. Dates have been set for the NBA draft on October 16th. The early entry deadline for that is August 17th. Free agency opens October 18th at 6 p.m. So the NBA has got its stuff together. The MLB does not. And it's really unfortunate because in a time like right now, we could really use some sports and baseball is not taking the opportunity to capitalize on that. And that's really upsetting. We're just getting golf every weekend. It's been great, but we need more sports. And so that's what we're going to do on the Galloway Podcast. We're going to talk sports with Andy Burcham, a little bit of sports and life with Jack Royer. So we transition now into the interview portion of the Galloway Podcast. Let's send it over to Andy Burcham. I'm joined now on the Galloway Podcast by Andy Burcham, the voice of the Auburn Tigers. Andy, how are you doing on this fine Monday morning? I'm doing fine, William. I hope you're doing well, but uh, looking forward to, to this summer and hopefully getting some questions answered with regard to the, the start of the, the 2020-21 athletic season coming up. Well, there's so many question marks around the NCAA world right now, around the sports world in general. So where, what's your general mindset on everything that's going on right now and the possibility of a football season? Well, you know, 
I, I think if, if those of us that are in the, in the media and, and outside the athletic administrations and the, the, the president's offices and that type of thing, if, if, if we're saying we know exactly what's going to happen, uh, I, I'm not sure that's truthful. I don't know exactly what's going to happen right now. I think everything is certainly working toward what will become of the athletic season. Now, will this athletic season be different than years past? Probably will. Uh, it will probably be the most unique athletic season coming up that, that we've ever experienced. But the fact that student-athletes are back on campus and, and at Auburn, the football team is back, men's basketball is back, with women's basketball, soccer, volleyball, cross-country, all expected to be back by the end of this month. I think that's certainly a step, and it gives us a positive direction. Uh, heading into what we hope is a, a fall that is filled with all of those sports that, that we've come to love. Amidst so much uncertainty right now, uh, it's as you mentioned, just having those athletes back on campus is a little bit of a ray of light, to be honest, for fans, for athletes, for the universities, athletic departments in general. You mentioned men's basketball, Andy. I want to take it back to the middle of March this year. Uh, I'm not sure if you were up in Nashville yet, but Auburn was on the brink of another NCAA tournament run. So what was it like for you when the world came to a halt uh, right before the beginning of that SEC tournament, that first full day of the SEC tournament in Nashville. William, I was in Nashville. We were, my wife and I drove up to to Nashville that day, and uh, the day of the first first day of the tournament, and we were at dinner just a couple blocks away from the, the team hotel, and uh, there were some TVs on in the, uh, the the establishment we were in, and one one was an NBA game. And all of a sudden, the news was breaking about the NBA player that had contracted COVID. And things happened just so quickly in the midst of that game. And, and it went from this individual, this, this player has COVID, to we're shutting down the season. I mean, it, it was so fast. And then by the time we got back to the team hotel, uh, word was already starting to circulate that the SEC tournament, starting with that Thursday, would then go to um, a, a tournament without fans, with just essential personnel basically being there. And there was a, a broadcasters meeting. There's a, a broad broadcasters meeting uh, at the SEC tournament every year where we just talk about. And this was my first, uh, but I've been told that you know you just get together and you talk about various issues, whether it's in basketball or football, baseball, whatever, for the broadcasters. And obviously one of the topics that morning, William, was, you know, what is it going to be like for us to broadcast basically in an empty gymnasium? Yeah. I mean, what we say about players, what we say about officials, those individuals may indeed hear what we're saying <laughs> at that point. And uh, that meeting was over, and I walked back to the team hotel, and word was starting to circulate that the SEC tournament was about to be shut down. Auburn was getting a walkthrough, so to speak, at Bridgestone Arena and then was going to go to off-site uh, for, a, for a practice. And, you know, they were, they were getting ready for the second day of games at that tournament. And within an hour or two after that, we learned that the SEC tournament would be canceled. Um, and I felt bad for those players. I felt terrible for the city of Nashville that had already gone through the the, the tornado just a, a few weeks before. 
And then, so my wife and I weren't even in Nashville for 24 hours. And Jan and I packed our bags and started home. And we were going to swing through Huntsville to see her mother uh, just to say hello because her mother's in an assisted living facility. And, and we didn't know if we'd get to see her much after all this started. And, and on our drive between Nashville and Huntsville came the word that the NCAA basketball tournaments had been shut down. And, oh, by the way, all of the spring sport NCAA championships had been shut down at that point. So in less than a probably a 12-hour span, we had gone from everything was going as normal to the NBA season was shut down, the SEC tournament was shut down, the NCAA basketball tournaments, both men and women were shut down, and the spring sport championships were shut down. And it was it made your head spin what it was going to be like, and then and the, that that started basically what we have what we have endured uh, with with everyone uh, since March. You know, for me, it's it's working at the house. My wife is going in one day a week. I hope to go in maybe one day a week here in the next couple of weeks, uh, just to the office. But we've Jan and I both set up shop here at our our house. I'm out on the sun porch. She's at her father's rolled away desk and. That's where we do our work right now. You you set up. Sounds like you got a good home station, but it's everybody's in the same boat for the most part. And sure. so that's the part that's kind of been the most encouraging to me is I'm not the only college student that doesn't have a summer job. And, you know, other people are working from home and different people are doing internships or work remotely. And so the reassuring thing to me is that everyone is in the same boat. For you, Andy, and the Auburn family coming off of a – College World Series uh, in the previous season and the, a final trip to the Final Four, there was so much promise of success um, with a lot of those Auburn teams. And so did you get a chance to catch up with any current uh, or, I guess, immediate past players um, from different Auburn teams and talk about the end of their seasons? Yeah, I've talked to a couple of the, the Auburn players and, and been on some Zoom meetings with the rest of the media and certainly talked with the various coaches that were in the midst of their ending their winter seasons and in the, the midst of their spring seasons. And listen, there's, there's, there's bound to be some disappointment. I mean, this was an Auburn men's basketball team that was going into the SEC tournament as the number two seed. It had, it probably played its best game of the season, beating Tennessee in Knoxville on the final Saturday of the regular season. So I think Auburn felt like it had, a great deal of momentum going into uh, defend its SEC tournament championship from a, a year before. It was an Auburn baseball team that had played 18 games, was not playing its best baseball of the season, but like everyone else in the league, was getting ready to start the Southeastern Conference season. And everyone was looking forward to the Friday night matchup with Texas A&M in town between Tanner Burns of Auburn and Asa Lacey of Texas A&M. And as we found out, about a week and a half ago, both of those guys were, were first-round draft picks. So everyone was looking forward to that Friday night matchup uh, in Auburn between the Tigers and the Aggies. Uh, both of Auburn's golf teams are playing extraordinarily well going down the stretch. They were getting ready for SEC play in the NCAA. The Auburn men were, were getting ready to host an NCAA regional. So there were a lot of things that, that, that were taken away from Auburn, but Auburn's not the only team out there. I mean, it, you, you can go to each campus and you see stories like this. And but but and for, for me to say, though, 
that that for a guy like Austin Wiley or a Samir Dottie for that basketball team that were seniors to have that that postseason taken away from them for me to know how they feel I don't know I know how disappointed I was as the radio voice not getting to broadcast but it, it probably pales in comparison to how disappointed those guys were as they were getting ready to defend an SEC tournament championship and to try and make another run in the NCAA tournament as well. Right, and and not getting having already played a full season, not getting that eligibility back like many spring sport athletes were able to. You mentioned Alabama and Auburn, um, or you, the Auburn baseball team. Auburn was also scheduled to come play in Tuscaloosa, and right. tons of Alabama students that I've talked to, uh, including Colby Robinson, the, the shortstop, they were excited for that uh, weekend series with Auburn. But as we look at another Alabama-Auburn matchup, Andy, I want to ask you, uh, taking it even further back now to last November, what was it like for you to call that Iron Bowl in Auburn in such a in such dramatic fashion and uh, such a highly anticipated game that had uh, a lot of influence on last year's college football season? What was that like for you? It was it was an extraordinary experience for me individually, professionally, uh, personally as well. I've been around the Iron Bowl since I moved to Auburn back in 1988. And I've been a part of the radio crew for the Iron Bulls since 1990. But this was my first to to step into that play-by-play role in an Iron Bowl. And I was glad that it was at Auburn. I was glad that it was, you know, at Jordan-Hare Stadium. And I don't know many folks, and I think Eli Gold and, and Chris Stewart probably are in the same boat. I don't think any of us thought that it would become the shootout that it was not that we didn't expect it to be a close game, but I thought if the game got out of the thirties, it would be crazy. Well, it was that it was like that at halftime of that, that game, the second quarter from about seven minutes to go on to halftime was, you know, makes your head spin a little bit. Um, but it, as, and I've, I've told this story a couple times, William, but as I walked away from the stadium that evening after that day, I am walking back to my car and I was by myself uh, just going back to the car and just, it was, I, I, I was so blessed to, to get to do what I do uh, and to work with, with our radio crew here. Uh, and those, these guys that, that I've been with for, for quite some time, some of the, some guys are a little bit newer to the crew, but Paul Allen and I have worked together since the our, our first network days back in 1990. And just to be a part of that, and then on top of that, how exciting that game was. And, and yes, the fact that Auburn won that game and the excitement on campus, it, it was a very special day. It's one that I will, I will certainly never forget. That game. I remember I went down to Auburn, uh, and as a, when I was, a, I was a junior at the time. Um, but I was, uh, a volunteer runner and for CBS and, and doing the game. I remember at the end of the game, so we, we, met everybody beforehand and we got our duties game duties and were assigned to everything we're doing our job all the volunteer runners which were volunteers but they paid us um and so you can call it what you want but i I volunteered my services and then they paid me for them but anyways they uh we're all students at alabama or former students at alabama and so you know at the end of the game we're all sitting there kind of looking at each other like we can't let our emotions get involved in this because the production's not over. Um, and that was just, when you look at it from the lens of sports, it was a spectacular game back and forth. And you mentioned that second quarter. I think that was 
I remember at halftime thinking that was one of the craziest quarters of college football I've ever seen in my entire life. Well, I remember at halftime, and we get a, I get a little break at halftime. Paul Ellen and Jason Campbell take over on our broadcast, and it, it's, it kind of gives you a chance to, to take a breath. And I, I remember as soon as I gave the broadcast to Paul, I turned to Stan. I'm like, what, what just happened? <laughs> you know, because we saw, we saw a pick six. We saw immediately a kickoff return for a touchdown. We saw, the, saw another long touchdown strike for Alabama. A drive for Auburn and a great catch, and then all of the the controversy about one second and Auburn getting a field goal to cut the lead with with a second. All of that happened in about a seven minute span on the clock, and you knew that this game was going to be special at that point because if the, that halftime score basically that's where I thought we would be at the end of the game. Right. Uh, I, I never dreamed that we would see an Auburn Alabama game where both teams scored in the 40s like we did 48 45 for for anybody that got their popcorn or went and got a hot dog at, in that seven minute span in the second quarter they really uh messed up their timing there and, and missed the heart and soul of that game uh of course it came down to it uh but andy i want to ask you as we switch kind of switch gears here a little bit uh we've been doing some looking back so i want to ask you as you've taken over the voice of the Auburn Tigers, what parts of Rod and Paula Bramlett do you try to embody both as a person and a broadcaster in your position? Well, from a personal standpoint, their son Joshua, we are his, my wife Jan and I are his legal guardian. So there's a part of that Bramlett household that, that lives with us that is now part of our household. So from a personal standpoint, we're trying to take over uh, as best as we possibly can to, to help Joshua, um, uh, he, he will be a junior at Auburn High School this fall, navigate through through what is, a, you know, a, a most unique time uh, in our lives from, from the, the, the passing of his, his mother and father to dealing with COVID. And he, he just had his driver's license back in October and his first car. And so we're, we're all learning to do that. And by the way, Jan and I have never been parents. Um, so this is a, a completely new situation for us. With regard to a professional standpoint, uh, when I get to go back into the office, I am in the office that, that Rod had. So, uh, and there are pictures of Rod and I um, in our in, in 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 what is now my office, what used to be Rod's office. As a matter of fact, there there's a picture that I have on my desk, uh, just underneath uh, my my computer monitors. Of, of, from an old IMG Broadcasters Summit. And we had gone out to dinner, um, and all the, all the broadcasters that were working for IMG at that time, and we were getting ready to go back to the hotel, and we got a picture with, with Rod, myself, Chris Stewart, and David Crane. So these were, at the time, the two baseball crews for Auburn and Alabama. And we just wanted a picture to have the four of us together because we've known each other for such a long time and um just you know we we care for each other it, it goes beyond just the teams that we're broadcasting for and now listen there's never ever a time where you can question what team that we're broadcasting for you understand right but but you develop those kind of relationships in this business um so those pictures are, are in, in the office that I have now. Uh, and listen, 
I mean, Rod took over for a beloved man in Gym 5 back in 2003. And he had to navigate through through that uh, after Jim's passing in May of 2003. And I've had to learn to do the same thing. I mean, you know, Rod Bramblett has two, maybe two or three of the most iconic calls in Auburn athletics history. The Final Four call from a year ago, Auburn going to its first Final Four. And then the miracle of Jordan-Hare and the kick six back from 2013. So there is a great deal of Rod Bramblett presence any time that I put on those headsets uh, for Auburn. So uh, those are a couple of the, the things that, that strike me in, in, in everyday life now as it's been since, since May 25th of, uh, of 2019. When you do a great job, I want to encourage you in that. And I know Auburn fans and people around the SEC, everyone listens to everyone's calls. And so getting the chance to hear you and um, – I think I, I passed you. I don't think I got the chance to introduce myself at Coleman Coliseum um, when when Auburn came to Tuscaloosa. But I know the Auburn family and the Auburn Tigers athletics loves having you on the call now. And from all my friends at Auburn, they say you do a great job. Um, and like I said, everybody listens to everybody's call. And at the end of the day, we're all we're all people, and you can tell who people are broadcasting for. Um, but people in the media—that's one thing I've learned in the past couple of years as a student at Alabama, people in the media are people and they're people first and they're reporters and broadcasters and announcers second. And I think that's really important yeah. to keep in mind. Well, and listen, I mean, you're, you're with these individuals, you're with Eli Gold at least once every year for football with Chris Stewart. You know, I get to see Chris during basketball season, two games in basketball season. And then for a weekend baseball series, whether it's at Auburn or whether, it's uh, in Tuscaloosa. You you get to know these gentlemen, and and uh, on the TV side, you get to know some of, of the women that are that are broadcasting. And listen, it, we can we can learn no matter how long we've been doing it. Uh, for example, after that that Tennessee basketball game, we had uh, a, a couple of us had driven on that trip, so we were driving back from Knoxville that day on the last day of the regular season, and we just spent that six or seven hours driving back listening to other broadcasts in the southeastern conference tuning around on tune in radio or finding a game that we could find on the radio and that was fun i mean i've i've done that for years whether it was a high school broadcast or a college broadcast and you can learn you can learn from people um how they call a play how do they handle this situation um there was a time last fall that uh, I was listening to an Alabama game, and it may have been an open week for Auburn. And I was listening to Eli and how he he set the scene as both teams were coming on the field at Brian Denny Stadium. And it, it just struck me to how eloquent it was done, which shouldn't surprise folks about Eli, but just how colorful it was. And I sent him a text that day. I said, great job setting the scene. I'd like to pick your brain a little bit about how you do that because I know that's something that I can improve on. Um, and, and Eli was, was gracious to, to give me some tips and, and, um, and, and to listen to a couple of my calls that, that we've had when, when he has the time. And so it, it's like that in this league. And I, I, I'm, I venture to guess it's like that everywhere. Um, if, if you're a kind, thoughtful individual, um, Folks will be the same way with you, and it's it's an interesting fraternity 
of, of folks that, that we get together with and get, get to be with, um, uh, whether it's a football Saturday or a basketball Tuesday night or Wednesday night or a baseball weekend. Absolutely. Fun people and great stories. Many of them have great stories oh all That's around. Crazy. The stories are outstanding. <laughs> Andy, I want to ask you, too. So we've looked back at the last year. We've done plenty of looking back, so let's look ahead. And we talked about the possibility of a football season and the fall sports season. Uh, but what can fans and folks around the SEC expect to see out of this Auburn football team, assuming that we can have uh, football in the fall this year? It's going to be an interesting year for this Auburn football team because I don't think that Gus Malzahn has probably had a sophomore starting quarterback since he was a high school coach in Arkansas. All of his quarterbacks, a lot of his quarterbacks have been one and done, or they've been junior college transfers. Jared Stidham is a good example. But none that, that have had such a good freshman season as Bo Nix did. And what is expected of Bo to be a better quarterback in his sophomore season? That will be interesting to see how that transpires. Uh, William, I think one of the first things that has to happen for this Auburn team is they've got to get that offensive line together. That's what spring practice was supposed to be, and Auburn did not get its spring practice. None. None of the spring practices. And Auburn has one starter coming back in Nick Brahms at center. So what will they do? How will they form? How will that offensive line gel as it gets ready for the uh, the 2020 season coming up? So that's a big question mark. How does Auburn handle on a defensive side the loss of a Derek Brown and a Marlon Davidson on that defensive front and all of those guys that they lost to the NFL draft and free agency in the secondary. The, the one group defensively that comes back is the linebackers. And a year ago at this time, William, I'd have told you that's the big question mark defensively. Well, the, guy, the likes of K.J. Britton, Zacoby McLean, and, and Owen Papel, those guys had terrific seasons. And that, to me, will be the strength of Auburn's defense. The good thing about up front defensively is the fact that the Rodney Garner has a great deal of depth, even though you don't have a Derek Brown, a first-round draft pick, and a Marlon Davidson, a second-round draft pick, to use. You've got guys like Big Cat Bryant that will be back and, and Tyrone Truesdale that will be back that, that played a great deal for Auburn um, a year ago. Auburn has to find another punter. Uh, we all know how important the kicking game is. And Aaron Sipos, I think, surprised some folks, uh, deciding that he was going to uh, test the NFL waters and signed as a free agent, I think, with Detroit. So Auburn has to get, has to find a, a, a punter, and it's likely to be a true freshman or perhaps a red for, redshirt freshman that Auburn will have at the punting. Auburn returns just about everybody from, uh, from its, its tailback core. It returns just about everybody from its wide receiver core. But again, offensively, it's, it's those guys up front and how that group gels under a new coach, Jack McNell, who is the, the new offensive line coach for Auburn. One thing that stands out to me when you talk about that Auburn defense, it made me think of the 2016 Alabama defense. And um, you had guys anchored, the defense anchored by guys like Jonathan Allen. And you think about what um, – what that what that transition was going to be like from the 2016 to the 2017 season and you saw a defensive one of the best defensive teams in the history of Alabama shift to one of the best offensive teams um when you had 
three stud receivers and so you could see auburn um with so much so much time to open up their playbook now with gus malzahn having all this time not but not being able to get practice you could see auburn shift from like having the strength of last year's team be that defensive line to uh and auburn's always been offensive minded and gus malzahn's been offensive minded but you could see kind of a switch in gears, a switch in focus of that. And obviously Auburn's been uh, focused on, on both and, and depending on years past. But you mentioned the, the kicking game as well. I can speak from an Alabama perspective uh, and just knowing that how Auburn is Auburn and Alabama is Alabama, Auburn's kicker, whoever they find will be better than Alabama's kicker. That's for sure. Well, Auburn returns Anders Carlson for his junior season. And uh, he has – he has improved in his two seasons at Auburn. So I think from a place-kicking standpoint right now, William, Auburn feels good about that. It's just who's going to be the punter. And listen, we've all seen how important field position can be at a game, especially those big games. Field position seems to be even more important. Uh, so how Auburn handles that, I think, will be one of the keys. And here's another thing for Auburn from an offensive standpoint. You know, Chad Morris is now in as Auburn's offensive coordinator, former head coach at Arkansas, uh, let go during the season last year. He comes to Auburn, and he is the true offensive coordinator as we understand it. And Gus Malzahn has gone on record saying that he is turning the offense over to Chad Morris. Now, Gus has never said that in the past. And yes, will this still be a Chad or a Gus Malzahn offense? Sure, absolutely. I think any co- any team that, that Gus Malzahn coaches, that offense is going to be his. But he seems as though he is going to turn that over to Chad Morris, including the play calling. Uh, and that's just going to be very interesting uh, to see how that transpires. Because not only does Bo Nix have a new offensive coordinator, he also has a new quarterback's coach in Chad Morris as well. And I hope that that, that, that continues his progression for Auburn. At, at the quarterback spot. He was terrific as a freshman, but everyone, including Bo, knows that he's got to be better as a sophomore. He's got to continue to improve and, and, and to become even more of a leader on that offense than he was as a freshman. And that year of experience can only help him. Uh, and and you can look at different quarterback rooms around the SEC. Obviously, I'd, I hate to keep going back to Alabama, comparing Alabama to Auburn, but you know how many quarterback coaches did, did Jalen Hurts have? And everyone, you can talk about, yeah, well, he could or couldn't throw the ball. Um, but I think a lot of these quarterbacks that go on to the NFL will tell you the more coaches you can have – it'll be more beneficial because you get more input you can take you don't have to take advice from all of them but you can take certain aspects and it'll help you develop as a quarterback and i think that could only help bo Nix, especially with his one year of experience already well and and one of the things that 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 gus malzahn likes about this team coming in is the fact that he only had to replace two two uh assistant coaches well three actually in the offseason jack mcnell up front Chad Morris as the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator, and Al Pogue in the secondary. So it was, it's been a rather stable uh, coaching staff for Auburn. And listen, I mean, you look back, um, Jason Campbell, who's now a part of our, our crew, former NFL starter and, and was the uh, SEC Offensive Player of the Year back in 2004. At one point, he had at least three or four different offensive – I think he had three different offensive coordinators – in his four years at Auburn. Um, and while, yeah, you get to learn, I think the, the idea of stability 
is also a good one for for these guys. And uh, he he talks about how tough it was to go from one offense to another. And uh, I know that he had to do that when he went to the NFL. But in in college, I think you'd like to be as stable as you can from one year to the other. Now, for for Bo Nix, yes, it's going to be a change. But I think the philosophy of the offense under Gus Malzahn and now Chad Morris will be the same. Right. Right. I'm talking with Andy Bertram here on the Galloway Podcast. Andy, thank you so much for taking the time on your Monday morning to talk to me on the podcast and all the listeners. Um, I know they're enjoying and have enjoyed this conversation, you talking about this past year and then obviously previewing um, another season, um, a hopeful season for Auburn Tigers and uh, SEC football in general. Very hopeful. Uh, But I'm very appreciative of you as well for coming on the podcast. My pleasure, William. Thank you very much. I uh, wish you all the best as we get ready for it. Let's hope, let's hope and pray that, that we have, you know, those games to talk about uh, come this fall, whether it's whether it's any of the sports, you know. Um, I've, I've done, like, like Eli, I've done soccer for SEC Network Plus at Auburn. And you, you get to know these coaches and you, you root for these coaches. And um, I'm certainly going to be rooting for the, those folks out there this fall and i guess the first thing we're all rooting for and praying for is that there are seasons coming up this year great interview with the voice of the auburn tigers there really appreciate andy taking the time out of his week to talk to us very insightful on auburn's football season and obviously he does a great job as the voice of the tigers he covered nearly every sport i think in that interview and uh really enjoyed talking to him Auburn folks, if you're new to the Galloway podcast, I welcome you and appreciate you taking the time to listen. Of course, Andy is just a wealth of knowledge and always nice to talk to and, of course, very insightful, as you just heard from that conversation. So Andy Bertram on the Galloway podcast. We're transitioning now to talk with Jack Royer. Jack, of course, the CBS 42 news anchor in Birmingham. I've known Jack for years. And... Jack is just always fun to talk to. He's a great storyteller, and he's one of those guys who will always make you laugh. I mean, he can tell you a story about ice cream, and you can find yourself rolling on the floor. I mean, Jack is one of the funniest people I know, a great storyteller, and so let's send it over to Jack Royer's conversation here on the Galloway Podcast. We're talking with Jack Royer now on the Galloway Podcast. Jack is the weeknight news anchor and reporter for CBS 42 in Birmingham, one of the best in the news business and has a promising, uh, is already underway with a promising young career. Jack, you're just, what, 25 years old? 24 years old. 24 years young. Yeah, young. And it feels like yesterday we were both uh, 17, 18 or younger working together doing Mountain Brook football. So hard work pays off. Absolutely. Well, it's been a crazy year. And thank you for coming on the podcast. I've wanted to get yeah. you on for a long time. It's uh, it's good that we can finally make this work. Uh, but Jack, 2020 has been a circle and another circle and another circle. It's just been a whirlwind, really. Uh, yeah. And so I want to ask you to start off here. In your young news career, when you look back at all the years and stories and things you've covered, can you think of a crazier news cycle in a shorter amount of time? No, I can't. I think that the last five years have been a bit of a crazy news cycle, just given the way um, the public 
views information now, the way the public is so polarized now and so ready to assume that everybody's got when everybody does in a way have an opinion. Uh, I've found solace in being uh, trying to be an unbiased voice down the middle that just tells you what's going on. The problem is a lot of the people that watch and listen and write you say that, you know, people think we're lying. And it's so it, and that's what's been craziest to me is to, to get a phone call at my desk asking if I'm making up numbers about coronavirus. I would have no motivation to do that at all. And um, so the news cycle over the over a longer period of time, I think, has led to this that we see now. Obviously, it doesn't lead to a pandemic, but just the uh, the way 2020 is gone. You know, I, I feel for everybody uh, obviously, the hundreds of thousands of families who have dealt with loss because of the pandemic say nothing of uh, events that have unfolded recently around the, the country. And I feel for uh, people whose lives have sort of had to come to a pause at an inconvenient time. And I certainly, uh, you know, I go to work every day well aware of the fact that I have something that more than 30 million Americans don't have right now, which is a paycheck. So, um yeah, the news cycle has just been unbelievable in so many ways for those reasons. And it's probably something you take a lot of pride in in terms of people will turn on the news now more than ever. Uh, and they'll follow people's Twitter feeds to get an understanding of what's going on. And more people are tuning in, whether it be 5, 6, or 10, to get their daily news scoop. Do you feel and have you seen that ratings have gone up because more people are trying to stay informed? You know, I don't really look at the ratings. I think that um, a lot of people would say that, oh, yeah, we're, we're really benefiting from this in terms of ratings. But the, the reality is, from a business standpoint, this has been a challenging time and is a challenging time for a lot of media companies. They've had to uh, lay people off. I mean, CBS News has had to do that. Other companies in our industry uh, have had to institute furloughs and things like that. So people love to assume that the media benefits directly from a big story. But when the story is a recession and um, unemployment numbers skyrocketing and, and sort of no light at the end of the tunnel in some cases, nobody benefits from that. So I think that what I feel is a greater sense of responsibility. I don't really look at ratings. I don't really look at um, – anything besides the copy that I read every day and the stories that I try to do, I think that I feel a responsibility to every person uh, that watches. And I try to assume it's one person that I'm talking to. And I try to look at every story with an intention for that story. Why is this in our newscast? Why is it important? And who am I talking to? If it's a story about somebody dying in police custody i'm trying to talk to their mother if it's a story about somebody being unemployed i'm trying to deliver that to their son uh because i think that everybody watching comes from obviously a different background and a different perspective on life but i feel a responsibility to be fair to everybody watching and to be honest and to build trust uh with our viewership with anybody who's chosen to check us out uh while they've had more time on their hands so you know i think that the word I would use is responsibility to, to sum up how this period has been for me. We've done more news lately uh, in terms of on-air content. We've done a lot more special reports. We've done a lot more digital uh, work during this time. So 
it's been a period of growth for everybody. It's been a challenging time for everybody, but I think that it's given us an opportunity to really feel the weight of why we do what we do every day. That's very that's a very good answer and very insightful uh, and, and makes me want to ask too as well because you talk about doing so many news stories and uh, Chris and Simone and uh, Drew do a great job in your sports department, Ron, everybody there at CBS 42. Uh, but obviously with everything going on in the world now, things have taken a news shift and sports have kind of twisted away um, and your sports anchors are covering different types of stories. So can you explain to the listeners on the podcast why uh obviously sports aren't playing but why sports has been taken out of so many newscasts especially nowadays uh and the emphasis has been on hard news well um that is a long answer because a lot of companies a lot of managers before uh, not at our place thank goodness but a lot of a lot of uh corners of our industry have taken the stance that people don't care about sports. And I think that this pandemic should prove just the opposite. Um, people miss uh, athletics. They love it. I think that I think a lot of companies have thought, well, how do we make the most money? How do where, where's the ROI for us? Our company takes the opposite approach. They believe in local content first. And here in Alabama, local content is, uh, oftentimes college athletics and, and even professional sports from other cities. So um, what's happened during the pandemic to us is, you know, there's nothing to cover. Our sports people have really stepped up. Simone is anchoring uh, news some now. Drew has done a great job covering sports stories that have emerged and covering for a while news reports. Chris Brees did the same thing. And, you know, Chris is a guy who just had two twin babies. So, I mean, the life goes on. I think that the shift has not been one of choice, but of necessity. And I think it should just go to tell you how talented our people are and our professional, um, my colleagues are, because they did not miss a beat jumping from, covering games and news surrounding that to covering, uh, you know, the way people were stepping up to donate food to people who couldn't afford it, the way communities came together. I mean, it was, you know, looking back on those first few days of the pandemic in Alabama, it was a really challenging time for everybody, regardless of socioeconomic status in some cases. And, and really for people struggling already, it was uh, just immediate more struggle and i think that our journalists at the at the root of it that's what they are they're journalists and i think they did a great job stepping in to cover uh what needed to be covered and i think when sports uh, as it's already becoming the thing that needs to be covered drew's covering talladega tonight uh so you know they they do what they need to do when duty calls and they've, I've enjoyed watching them and keeping up with them and three people that I know personally. You know, they've been doing a great job telling those stories and uh, not creating and, you know, stories, but taking, making stories out of happenings and events and things and, like that. And Ron Gaines, you mentioned Ron is a, a photojournalist at CBS 42 and just one of the best in the business because I've never seen a guy who came here to do sports and suddenly he's become essentially a full-time news photographer. Anybody who's ever touched the industry knows the drastic difference. You're not covering, some would call sports the fun assignment versus going to a house fire every now and then or, or covering news of the day, going to city council. Ron's had a smile on his face the entire time. So it's been inspiring to me to watch how um, 
my colleagues who don't necessarily enjoy doing the kind of work I do every day have have learned to love it and have really stepped up and made the best of it. It's it's just been uh, inspiring to see that during uh, sometimes uninspiring moments in our in our lives as a whole right now. Yes, yes. You mentioned your work, Jack. I want to ask you too, uh, because anyone that works in TV knows that TV works unconventional hours. So can you explain to the listeners kind of your daily schedule in terms of you're doing a 5, 6, and 10 newscast, so your work day is unconventional hours compared to the normal 9 to 5. Walk us through your day and how you bring news in the morning and the afternoon to bring them onto your evening newscast and kind of your daily schedule. My personal work day on a, on a light day starts at about 2 p.m. We have an editorial meeting where we discuss what's going to go in our 5 and our 6 o'clock news uh, with the crew that's been there since 9 a.m. working on that. And then we pitch stories and plan our 10 p.m. newscast after that. Uh, about 3 o'clock, we shoot some promos that run in the afternoon promoting our early newscasts. Uh, and then I get into the copy, and sometimes I have to produce a story for the 5 or the 6. We, I write and uh, put together, help put together some elements of our early shows. And then anchor the 5 and the 6, I take a dinner break, and I come back and uh, put the same effort into the 10 o'clock news with our night side team um we do great work at 10 o'clock every night that's the newscast i tend to enjoy the most just because uh it has a lot of eyes on it it is uh action-packed it's got a lot of stories in it it's got the news of the day with some stuff that we try to go find and cover uh that are local stories that you might not see unless you watch us sometimes so my day usually ends around 10 30 or 11 but there are drastic exceptions to that there are days that i have to come in at 9 or 10 in the morning and work till 10 or 11 at night there are days i go in at 2 and there's breaking news in our 10 o'clock news that warrants wall-to-wall coverage and we stay on till 12 30 or 1 in the morning and don't take a break and i've got to kind of motion to my co-anchor and say i'm going to run to the men's room real quick and come right back so uh the days differ uh, I try to enjoy as best I can days that start at 2 and end at 10.30 uh, as a normal, nice eight, seven and a half, eight hour day with a dinner break, things like that. So it just depends. There, are, But then, you know, we have people in the building at all times. There are people that work 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. producing our morning newscast. So it's a round-the-clock operation I'm fortunate to have one of the best jobs in the building, and I try to pass it on through my work and my uh, uh, being a good colleague and just uh, really trying to be passionate about what I do. I think that, you know, the hours are what they are, but I'm well aware there are both people working longer hours than me in other industries, and there are also people uh, that would kill to have my job, so I'm fortunate to be here. Well, absolutely, and this is something you've strove – you've – You've driven after uh, and uh, certainly earned and have now, you know, working your way all the way up. Uh, you have one of the greatest jobs in Birmingham in terms of the news market, and uh, your things are only going up uh, here for you. Obviously, your dad is a, a huge influence on your career. Uh, he's helped me out as well as a great uh, mentor yeah. and advisor to students in Tuscaloosa, yeah. students at Alabama. Um, but, oh, I mentioned Alabama. I want to ask you this, Jack, as well. So I kind of kind of changing pace here. 
uh, recently sent out a tweet about having class with football players at Alabama, and uh, it was it got a good bit of traction and some really uh-huh. good stories. Uh, but you graduated in 2018, and uh, I'm sure over your four years you had class with a football player or two. Do you have any specific memories or any good stories of having class with football players at Alabama? Yeah, I uh, was in a lecture class with Jalen, uh, and then a, the best one I think was uh, you know, and I think I think it's hilarious how starstruck we get over college football players. Obviously, they're so incredibly talented. It's just an interesting phenomenon as as human beings who we uh, you know I, I was starstruck to be in a class with Tua Tagovailoa, and he. Uh, it was like a small class about social protest and social justice, timely as that may be now. Uh, and as uh, thankful as I was for the education, it was so interesting to be in a small class like that where everybody, you know, you get to know the people in the class. You end up spending time with them on projects and things. And uh, just to hear the perspectives of everybody in the room was pretty cool. And I think that. Um, it's always neat to be in there with the, the guys you watch on Saturday morning. I did a story when I was at WBUA about the, the grounds crew at Alabama and how they, the guys that paint the field at Bryant Denny and the opening line of the piece was, uh, no matter how many hours you've spent staring at this grass, these guys have spent more hours painting it. I think it's interesting how like we do spend a ton of time staring at that grass at Brian Denny and the athletes that play on it. So I thought your tweet was an interesting like social experiment, right? Because all these people are so excited to share their story with a football player who uh, in so many ways is just like them and in so many ways is so not like them. And I think it's just fascinating. But uh, probably that, that story with Tua is a long answer to your question. Right. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I can tell my kids one day that I gave Mac Jones a pencil before a test in a kinesiology class. You know, <laughs> that's that's something. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's you got all different types of things. I, there was everything from you had people that say I had class with Jalen Waddle to people that chimed in and said I had class with Johnny Musso, and. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head what Cecil Hurt's response was, but he he said something. Uh, a guy that was you know out of the 1914s, obviously 1920s, obviously being sarcastic. Um, yeah. But that that was a that was a fun response, and and you get a lot of good stories because those those players are people, but they they generate a lot of attention, um, and a lot of them really enjoy being in the spotlight and yeah. uh, are just fun people to be around in general. Yeah, for sure. And I think that um, covering sports, as we both have uh, at the university, you really learn that. You learn how uh, a lot of these young athletes really have an opportunity to go uh, different directions in terms of who they are and what they are. And uh, I think it's a testament to Alabama, you know, how many of them turn out to be excellent young women and men who put others before them put the team before them you can't walk through malmore without seeing the team written on every wall and i think it's just so fascinating what quality 
characters are turned out by the programs uh, down in Tuscaloosa. For sure. Jack, I want to ask you one more question here as we wrap things up. You and I, as you mentioned, called Mountain Brook Football on the radio. Uh, my dad was a part of that. But uh, as I kind of rode your coattails uh, my freshman and sophomore year at Mountain Brook, what do you remember most about calling those games? Because that was one of the most enjoyable times I've ever had uh, in a press box with you and my dad. I could not agree more. I'm so glad to hear you feel that way. Um, yeah, for those who don't know, Trip Galloway, William's father, and my old baseball coach, uh, and I called Mountain Brook football. William was a member of the team, uh, an invaluable member of the team at that. So the three of us were on the broadcast every week. And um, I'm glad that you feel the same way. I would say that in my young career of just about seven or eight years of professional work, plus, you know, if you can count my childhood being around news uh that was probably the most fun and the most enjoyable work i've ever gotten to do and that should speak volumes because i love what i do now with a passion but i think that getting to be around the program that i played for and grew up in and uh be around your dad and you and just to just to get on the radio for three hours every week excuse me and just get to talk about football and call games and and have fun i mean for for goodness sake, your dad had a trivia segment every week that we built up and made fun. I mean, it was just a fun broadcast. The community supported it. It was the ultimate local uh, production. And how fitting. Now I work for a company that feels the same way I do, that local is important. That's exactly what we did. I think my memories were just the ability to make mistakes. I mean, I was certainly not the best play-by-play person uh, in the industry or even on that trajectory probably speaks volumes that I went to be a news anchor, but um, we just had fun. And I think it reminds me that broadcasting at its core when done well and for the right reasons is fun and it is a great way to make a living and it's a great way to be connected with the community you cover, which is to me the most important thing, no matter your level of the industry you have to connect with your viewers uh, in person and on and through your work. And I think that that was just some of the best experience I ever got on so many levels and some of the most fun. It's it's honestly, I probably sound ridiculous. I sound like the high school third string quarterback who is at a bar in his 40s or 50s talking about the glory <laughs> days because I love it that much i think that i've i've certainly accomplished more in my career than doing that work but boy do i love to sit around and listen to those air checks and remember all the the dumb stuff we did looking back on it and the mistakes i made i mean i think i called the second string like the second string defense i think i referred to them as the secondary a few times because i was so the, i was game. i was thinking about this and um the you know a gap b gap c gap one of the members of the broadcast i'm not going to name names but it wasn't you and it wasn't me called it the a-hole um (laughs) (laughs) i forgot about that i will tell you like those moments are so people are probably turning off this podcast as we get deeper into these stories but like yeah just good times is what i remember And, and honestly i have so many people come up to me i get two things in public people are like well probably three things a few people will say are you, you're Mike Royer's son, right? That's a pretty common thing. 
Some will just know me from TV. They have no idea who I am. They'll just be like, oh, I know you from CBS 42 News. And then others from Mountain Brook will say, oh, my God, I used to listen to you when you were 14 and 15. Right. Doing the And I'm, I always thank them for their patience because were it not for their patience, I may not have my job right now. And the, and the fourth type of person is the lady that emails you to tell you to put on socks when you don't wear socks. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> but, well, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so thankful for you, man, and I appreciate you and your friendship and your family, and glad to see you doing well. Well, thank you, Jack. Really appreciate uh, you making the time and your, and your busy yeah, schedule to um, – come on the podcast great to talk with you more you know i love to talk sports with everybody but having a sit back conversation like that is, is like this is really special so i appreciate you always william talk to you soon a great conversation with jack there appreciate him taking his time to come on the podcast he's somebody i've wanted to have on for a while and uh the timing worked out now to talk to him and i hope you folks enjoyed that i mean we had so much fun covering those Mountain Brook football games on the radio. He did a great job. It was fun to do it alongside with my dad and uh, his family coordinating everything and setting up that radio show. I mean, they did such a good job. All my dad and I had to do was just show up, and we did. And that was, like he mentioned, one of the most fun times I've ever had broadcasting uh, and hopefully many more times to come. But as we move on now on the Galloway podcast, let's go around Alabama athletics to wrap up the podcast as we always do. So, What's been going on? Tuscaloosa has been buzzing with news, but it's also been buzzing with coronavirus. Alabama athletes are being tested, and it's reported that many have tested positive, but of course those are just reports. The university will not release health statements on behalf of its athletes. That makes sense. I mean, you don't want me putting your health records out there, you know, if 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 that were the situation. So it's appropriate that Alabama is not saying who's testing positive. But we've also seen a multitude of reports that plenty of other schools like Clemson and LSU have had multiple players, uh, some even in the 20s, test positive as well. So coronavirus hitting coronavirus is hitting campuses and athletes, but those athletes um, are in prime shape and working to get back and hopefully have a football season this fall. Elsewhere around Alabama athletics, we look for the future. The Crimson Tide announced the home-and-home home series with Ohio State for the 2027 and 2028 seasons. 2027 will be in Columbus, Ohio, and 2028, the game will be in Tuscaloosa. On the field, Alabama football signed a four, some call him a five-star, wide receiver Christian Leary. Now, this wide receiver out of Florida is for the 2021 class. And folks, I cannot say this enough. Christian Leary is lightning Fast. I did a video comparing him to Henry Ruggs and Kenyon Drake and Jalen Waddle, and he is stride for stride, if not faster than those guys. So one of um, plenty of receivers out of Florida that Alabama signed for that 2021 class. Remember the name Christian Leary. He will be blazing down the field for the Crimson Tide in just a matter of seasons. Also around Alabama athletics, on the computer, Alabama has been talking to many notable people on Team Zoom calls. Most recently, uh, Dr. Condoleezza Rice and Charles Barkley, the team, publicized some videos of that call and really unique that the players get the opportunity to talk to influential people, especially in times like these days, talking with Dr. Rice and Charles Barkley as well. So the Alabama football team doing the most for its players' uh, personal protection against coronavirus, but also the players' um, social awareness and 
getting the opportunity to talk to celebrities, I think, is a great thing for those Alabama players. They're doing that via Zoom call. Also, on the field, excuse me, on film, uh, on a field, on the quad, Nick Saban was filming another Aflac commercial last week. We're going to look this fall and uh, see Nick Saban wearing that light blue coat. He'll be doing another Aflac commercial. This one was on the quad. So we will keep our eyes peeled on the TV sets for another Nick Saban Aflac commercial. And around Alabama Athletics in the weight room, Dr. Ray and Coach Ballou are making significant strides with the football players. How do we know? Well, we're seeing these players tweet about their workouts, and with the two new additions of the strength staff, it's evident that Dr. Ray and Coach Ballou are taking this program to the next level. And you thought just when Alabama was at the top, it couldn't go any higher. Well, guess what? These players are saying, wow, what a workout, or that kicked my tail, or these guys are different. And this strength staff is maximizing everything that can get out of these players. And that's a promising sign for Alabama fans as football players are just recently back on campus and can already tell a difference with these two new strength coaches. Elsewhere in Alabama athletics, Listen to me here now. Coleman Coliseum is getting renovated. Just kidding. I got your attention there, but I'm not actually totally kidding. Wayne Jones, an employee who works for the university in Coleman Coliseum and facilities, tweeted pictures of the floor in Coleman Coliseum, Coleman Coliseum excuse me, getting a makeover for next season. So the Coliseum is not getting renovated. The floor is getting a makeover, and that's something, all right? So just, you know, as I said earlier in the podcast, there's not a whole lot of news, but hey, mark that down, all right? That's some type of news and something to get excited for if you're an Alabama basketball fan. A new floor. It's the small things right now that keep us going. And that's a brief look at a few happenings around Alabama athletics. Check out my Twitter page for more and the latest news from Tuscaloosa. So as we close out things here, I want to remind everybody Galloway Podcast merchandise is available. I recently ordered coffee mugs, stainless steel tumblers, and golf towels. All will have the Galloway Podcast logo on them, so be sure to check my Twitter and uh, check those out. You're going to want a coffee mug or a stainless steel tumbler or a golf towel. It's golf season. I hope you're getting in your reps. And uh, looking to restock hats and shirts as well. So stay tuned on the Twitter for merchandise, news, and information. The Galloway Podcast, episode 43. Today we went around what's new or really what's not new and a lack of information. We talked to Andy Burcham. We talked to Jack Royer. And as always, we ended up with Around Alabama Athletics. This is the Galloway Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate You can check out the Galloway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. The Galloway Podcast, where there's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's the Galloway. Galloway.